Hey partners, it's that time again. Yes, it's time for another black moment in history with Bo. And if you did not know it, I am Bo. Straight out of Akron, Ohio. Not internationally known, just an old man with a microphone. And I hope you are doing wonderful today. And in spite of the heat that is blanketing the country, today is going to be a great day for you. And you know why? Because strength doesn't come from what you can do. It comes from overcoming the things you thought you couldn't. And if you think about it long enough, you know what those things in your life were. You see, you don't always have to tell your side of the story because time will. Today, my friends, I'm going to tell you a story about a place that is near and dear to my heart. I'm going to tell you about the Black Eden and what it personally meant to me. So let's slip into darkness and explore this Black Eden. I don't really care what people say. Growing up in the era that I grew up in was the best years that this country has ever seen. The late 50s and the 60s and the early 70s was the best that we could ask for. Sure, there was a lot of things that we didn't have, but there was a lot of great things that we did have. And one of those things was Idlewild, Michigan. And you know, word of mouth was a great thing amongst black folks because we could take a message and by the end of the day, it could be way across the country. And my parents, being from Alabama, they knew nothing of a resort. The only thing that they knew was Jim Crow and what they couldn't do. But some kind of way, the name Idlewild got to their ears, and they listened and they learned, and they ventured out. And that, my friends, was the greatest thing that they could do for me because it molded my childhood. You see, the racism of the early 20th century kept America's black middle class away from most of the resorts, restaurants, and clubs enjoyed by their white counterparts. But in the forest of Northwest Michigan was a place apart, a black Eden, known as Idlewild. And here, black writers, thinkers, physicians, and entrepreneurs found a safe haven where they could escape the toxic weight of racism and segregation and simply relax. The first time my parents took me to Idlewild, I was about seven or eight years old. And it was amazing because everyone was like family to you. There were quite a few people that stayed in Idlewild all year long, but most owned homes with cottages, and it was a summer place. 
It rose to prominence as a meeting place for black intellectuals and reached national fame as a place to see and rub shoulders with some of the most famous entertainers of all time. But the Ottawa Resort was first conceived by white business people who saw an opportunity. In 1912, four white couples, two from Chicago and two from Michigan, formed an alliance called the Idlewild Resort Company. One of them, a Michigan man named Brastis Branch, homesteaded a plot of land along a peaceful mile-wide lake, then surrounded by undeveloped forests. And in 1915, the IRC began purchasing and planting additional land, eventually acquiring more than 2,700 acres. They posted ads in regional black newspapers such as the Chicago Defender, touting Idlewild as the hunter's paradise, renowned for its beautiful lakes of pure spring water and its abundance of game fish. They hired African-American salesmen and women to promote the resort and in 1915 organized trips from Chicago, Detroit, and Cleveland so that prospective buyers could see it for themselves. And it worked. The promise of what Idaho could be attracted some of the most well-regarded African-Americans of the time. One of the first to purchase property there was Dr. Daniel Hale Williams, one of the founders of the Chicago Provident Hospital and the first surgeon in the U.S. to successfully perform open-heart surgery. Williams was soon followed by Madam C.J. Walker, whose beauty supply company made her the first woman and the first African-American to become a self-made millionaire. In 1920, W.E.B. DeBose, famed civil rights activist and co-founder of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also visited Idlewild and bought his own piece of the land. In a few short years, Idlewild became a safe and celebratory place where Americans' black intellects could gather in the summer on their own property and on their own terms to debate, network, and breathe fresh air. My friends, let me tell you about my encounter with Idlewild. When I first went there, like I said before, I had to be about seven or eight years old, and it was like no place I had ever seen before. I mean, growing up on Rhodes Avenue in Akron, was nothing compared to Idlewild. It's where a young boy of my age really blossomed and did things that young boys should do. I learned how to fish. I learned how to ride a horse. I learned to do things that most city dwellers could never learn to do. And I had friends. I had most of my friends were from Chicago. Some were from Detroit but most were from Chicago, and I saw them every year when I went back to Idlewild. And I had a close friend whose parents owned a house on the island. That's what we call the business area of Idlewild. 
and they owned a boat. And on that boat, Willie Stewart taught me how to fish. Mr. Johnson allowed me to work in the stables where the horses was. And although he was blind, (laughs) he could sure count money. We had a skating ring. We had our own beach. And you know what? I never noticed that there weren't any white people there. Because on the whole island, there was only one policeman. And his job was to direct traffic. And you know what? There was no jail. On the other side of the lake, there was a a black girl's camp that us young boys loved to run through at every chance that we could. I fell in love for the first time there with a little girl from Chicago by the name of Vanita Davis. And I had no idea that the parents of my friends were entrepreneurs, doctors, lawyers, intellects. I just knew their kids were just like me wanted to run and learn and play. Our beach was right behind the skating ring. We got through skating, we ran down to the beach. To me, there was no place like Idlewild. And I could not wait until school was out. In 1921, the original developers of whom DuBose spoke highly in the NAACP publication, The Crisis, turned ownership and management of the resort over to the Idlewild Lot Owners Association, run by Idlewild's new African-American property owners. In 1923, the Pyrrhic Railroad extended a branch line to the area. Meanwhile, shops, taverns, and entertainment venues proliferated. Idlewild at that time, was a cultural, intellectual site. For many, Idlewild became a cause, a sentiment reflected in a letter that Madam C.J. Walker wrote to the IRC in 1918. She said, I consider Idlewild a great national progressive movement. It supplies a great pressing necessity to our people namely a national meeting place where the leading spirits from the various sections of the country may gather each year and discuss problems of national and race importance. Great good cannot but result from such a movement, and Idlewild being located as it is in the heart of the great resort section of Michigan makes it an ideal for the combination of business and pleasure. For a time, members of the NAACP organized annual Chautauquas, during which people from all over the country gathered in Idlewild to enjoy a host of recreational and intellectual events. They would talk about the critical issues of the day as they affected African-American entrepreneurs and individuals. But you see, my friends, it didn't only attract intellectuals. Prominent black business people gravitated to the place, as did artists such as Louis Armstrong, who purchased a home there in 1928 and later wrote in his autobiography of the fun he had swimming and horseback riding. 
Everyone from mobsters such as Chicago's Jones Brothers to Violetta Netley Anderson, the first African-American female attorney to be admitted to practice before the U.S. Supreme Court, became homeowners or regulars on Idlewild Shores. And it wasn't long before the Idlewild Lot Owners Association included among their members property owners from more than 30 states. They felt like they had arrived at heaven on earth. It was a safe haven. Everyone felt like they could let their hair down and relax, and they felt secure. DuBose later waxed poetically in the crisis the official publication of the NAACP, that Idlewild was a place where everybody knows everybody and the world is happy. For sheer physical beauty, for sheen of water and golden air, for nobleness of free and flower of shrub, for shining river and song of bird and the low moving whisper of sun, moon, and stars. It is the beautifulest stretch I have seen for 20 years. And then to that add fellowship, sweet, strong women and keen-witted men from Canada and Texas, California and New York, Ohio, Missouri and Illinois, all sons and grandchildren of Ethiopia, all with a wide leisure of rest and play. Can you imagine a more marvelous thing than Idlewild. After World War II, the expansion of America's black middle class inspired black entrepreneurs to invest heavenly in Idlewild's tourism industry. A roller rink opened. The same roller rink <laughs> we used to try to ride our horses up in and be chased out every day by management, as well as additional motels, gas station and even bigger and more elaborate nightclubs. By the early 1950s, as many as 25,000 guests converged there in the summer months. Detroit hoteler Phil Giles opened a new hotel as well as the popular Flamingo Club, while Saginaw businessman Arthur Big Daddy Braggs began orchestrating world-class shows at his Paradise Club. The elaborate production, which included showgirls, singers, and entertainers of all types, helped earn Idlewild the moniker of the Summer Apollo of Michigan. The Arthur Bragg's Idlewild Review soon began touring the country in the off-season, making Idlewild a household name in places as far away as Oklahoma City, Montreal, and Boston. Idlewild was fabulous, like New York or Paris. It was where the top-of-the-line black entertainers went. The shows were directed and produced by black people, and the upper-class black people went there because they couldn't go to resorts like those in Florida. Those were the days when our parents and relatives would dress up in their finery and they would go out and see the entertainment. I remember going to the Paradise Club with my mother on Sunday afternoon for the family-friendly matinees. 
Sitting at the table alone with my mom, I felt like I was grown. As we drank Coca-Cola and watched and listened to Brooke Benton. Idawa also became a welcome stop for legendary black performers. The Four Tops, Jackie Wilson, Della Reese, B.B. King, Cap Calloway, Etta James, Sarah Vaughn, and later years, the Queen herself, Aretha Franklin, all performed there, some of them repeatedly. Many also arranged extended stays so they could enjoy the place or vacation with their families. But after the passing of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, interest in Idaho waned. With the new world of opportunities suddenly open to them, black vacationers began exploring locales they had previously only dreamed of visiting. Once our people could go to other places, they wanted to experience that and they left. Today, Idlewild is home to a dwindling population of fewer than 1,000. Most of them retirees with fond memories of summers spent there in their youth. And my friends, I am one of them. When I think about the happiest times of my life as a, as a youth, it was times that was spent in Idlewild. And of course, I did not know who some of those famous people were that I was bumping to into the skating ring or that I was taking out on the horse riding trails. I didn't know who they were and I didn't care who they were. All I knew is that they were residents of Idlewild and they were there for a good time. But it's important that our people know that it is deep in the hearts of the people who remember why Idlewild was necessary. There were other black summer resorts across the United States, but none was as popular as Idlewild. I happened to be in Lima, Ohio, and went into a gentleman's home, and I saw pictures on the wall of Idlewild, and we talked for a great length of time about the enjoyment and about the fact that it will never be another. My friends, that's the place that set the course for my being the person that I am today. I cannot think about my childhood without those old friends that I've never saw again, that I only remember names and the fun we had in the woods of Idaho. Everyone has a story, and that was mine. I visited the place when I was in my 30s, but I found it not the same. Our people had turned away from me for places like Las Vegas, Florida, and elsewhere. We just did not realize what we had and how we let it slip through our fingers. So we can't blame the Civil Rights Act we have to blame ourselves. Did integration help us? That music tells me that it's once more that time, my friends. And I'll be the first to admit to you that I could talk about Idlewild all day, but I won't. I'll just hold it near and dear to my heart every day of my life. 
So have a great day, my friends. And before I go, I will leave you with this message. If black people were aware of their glorious past, then they would be more inclined to respect themselves. The time has come for the black man to forget his hero worship of other races and to create and emulate heroes of his own. Marcus Garvey said that. Until next time, my friends, peace to my ancestors and my elders. I will walk in your strength, legacy, and power today and every day. Until next time, it has been my honor.